in. Thank you for the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit. For resting, for ruling and abiding upon your church and in your church. Thank you for this hour today, this preaching moment. Pray that you would smile on your people. That you would open their eyes and their ears. And that you would give them a keen insight to what your spirit is saying to the church. And then, oh God, remember me, your son, that my feet are but clay. And except you give me preaching power, preaching will not be done. So grant me, Lord, just one more time, the ability to proclaim it like you gave it to me. And in the end thereof, I'll be mindful to give you all the honor, to give you all the glory, and to give you all the praise. And all God's children agreed in prayer and said, Amen and Amen. If you open your Bibles with me, family, to a very familiar passage of Scripture, let's go back this morning and look at 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 7. Verses 1 and 2, and I'll explain why we're going back into this book after preaching through it. Uh, I want to welcome our visitors here to the New Beginnings Church, uh, one of 500 churches in the Fresno metropolitan area. We're glad that you're here with us. Amen, family? For well, we recognize you could have been in one of 500 of God's most uh, blessed churches, but you are here with us. And we don't take your presence lightly. But while you're here, let me explain. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. That means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible. Books and chapters at a time. Family? And so this morning, we invite you to look at this particular passage with us. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Expository preaching simply means we dig into the text and unpack it so that you can understand what the word is saying for you in your current situation. Amen? Amen. Now, we're revisiting 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, because this week we celebrated a citywide revival. And my soul was stirred to the point of what I saw and heard God saying to me for my walk with him and for the church of Fresno. But unfortunately, many of you weren't there because of previous engagements. So I thought, why stop the revival on Friday? Let me pick up with a revival text for you who could not make it on Sunday morning. Amen. So tell your neighbor, are you ready to be revived? Then let's hear what the word has to say. First Samuel chapter seven, verses one and two. Then the men of Kirjath Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and they consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath Jerim a long time. And it was there 20 years. And all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Amen. I'm going to tag this message this morning. Another look at revival. Another look at revival. You may be seated. Brother Andrew, can you come and help me, son? Just turn this a little toward, toward me so I can hear it. Thank you. One of the greatest needs, new beginnings, in the life of the believer is the need to be revived. Sometimes as we journey, Brother Manuel, with Christ, every now and then, the truth is, son, we tend to get carnal, lazy, comfortable, rebellious, and hard to get along with. 
Some of us even just become flat out disobedient. And these seasons make us dull and over familiar with the things of God. And when this happens, family, what we need is revival. When revival comes, Brother Rodney, we start to pray again. When revival comes, we repent for our behavior. When revival comes, we forgive others for offending us. When revival comes, our worship changes. When revival comes, we feel like worshiping. When revival comes to you and I and the believer, we even come to lamenting. That's crying out in repentance, in remorse of our behavior and actions toward God. When revival comes, God can use us, Isaac, to do great things in the earth, son, on his behalf. That's what this text is about. It's about recovering the elements of revival for your life again. And now how do we get the joy of our salvation back? How do we get next to the Lord after a long season of disobedience or a holiday of rebellion in our hearts? How do we get back to that place? Well, let me explain Israel's situation, and then perhaps you can see yourself in the text. Israel in our story today, family, has experienced a season of rebellion against God. And God had to discipline them because they got over familiar with the ark. Here it is. They thought they could handle the ark in a casual manner. That they even tried to look inside at its contents. And when they did that, the Bible says in the previous chapter that God killed 50,070 of them. Because they got over familiar with God. Can I park the car right there? They, 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 their worship got mundane, so they just thought they could do whatever they wanted to do. Y'all in here? Somebody looking at me this morning, you're there. You've gotten over familiar and casual with God that you think you can live any old kind of way. You can do any old kind of thing, and he going to accept it. I stopped by to tell you, keep on doing it. Because disobedience has consequences. And when Israel got to that point, what made them behave that way is because they have forgotten who God was and why God had established a personal relationship with them. And when God disciplined them, his wrath fell on them. They got the picture that he would judge sin and that he would not settle for anything less than holiness for his people. If you've been at New Beginnings for one of these 10 years, I pray that you've heard me say at least one time, holiness is the standard. Amen. It's not an option. Are y'all with me here? God calls for holiness for his people. The bar is here. It ain't here. Are you with me? In the previous chapter, the men of Beth Shemesh, Brother Reuben, they give a clarion call for their brothers in the next town, Kirjath Jerim, to come over and take the ark from their presence. Why? Because God had disciplined them for mishandling the holy things of God. And when God did that, they cried out for their brothers in the next town to come and get the wrath of God off of them. And so today in this text, we're going to see what God was doing and how he engages Israel in a new season, but a different season in their relationship. How do you, how do you help somebody who's getting whooped by God? It's in the text. 
So some people come to me and say, Pastor, I just need some money from the church because I can't make my bills. Well, I can't undo what God is doing. If God is whooping you, don't ask me to get in the way. Y'all in here? I believe that God is preparing Israel for revival in this text. Yeah. I believe that it is a revival that they are in need of. I believe that this move from Beth Shemesh to Kerjath Jerim is a necessary move. Why, Pastor? Why do you say that? Well, I believe that God is working and that God's work is eternal. And eternity is what he's shaping you for. Did you catch that? God ain't necessarily just shaping you to set you up for earth. He's trying to set you up to shape you up for all of eternity. And if that means whooping you for 10 years on earth, he ain't got no problem with it. Y'all in here? If we will ever encounter revival in our personal lives again, we need to do several things. Somebody yell at me and say, what are they, Reverend? Number one, we need to practice serving one another. I just lost somebody right there. We need to practice submitting to one another. That's the other 20% of the crowd. We need to practice sacrificing for one another. And then the fourth thing, we need to practice surrendering to one another. Those are my four elements. Y'all going to help me unpack them? But you say, you only got two verses. That's right. I only got two, but all four are in there. Verse 1, the practice of service. The text says, then. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim, they came and they took the ark of the Lord. And they brought it to the house of Abinadab who lived on the hill. Let me unpack it. The first thing, brothers and sisters, I notice in this text is that if the elements of revival are going to come into the situation or any situation, there must first be the element of service and personal responsibility. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The text says, then, the men of Kirjath, Jerim, they came. They came from somewhere far into a situation where God had been chastising his people. Are you in here? This is interesting because they came after they heard of the calamity that had just happened to the Levite community. And instead, Sister Denise, of shrinking back from dealing with the holy things of God, they decide to step up. And embrace an opportunity to serve somebody who had gotten out of God's favor. Now notice, the men of Kirjath, Jerim, Carmen, they were not Levites. They were not priests. They were not scholars. These were not men steeped in privilege. They weren't rich. They weren't men. They were just simply brothers who heard a call and felt a need to draw near to that which was holy. Y'all caught me? Kirjath Jerim was a small place that was tucked away in the hills. Brother Wendell, in the Hebrew, it's called the city in the woods. It was the nearest town that was close to Beth Shemesh where God just killed 50,000 men for getting over familiar with him. These men from Kirjath Jerim were men from obscurity. Oh, here it is. They were brothers from nowhere. They had no titles, McBride. They had, they had no legacy in the crowd. They had no big egos in this crowd. There was nobody in there with names that we should know about. That's because uh, he didn't mention them. All we know is that they all came together. And they came for one common goal, to serve their brothers and to serve the Lord. Y'all going to help me? Notice this. 
No man in this crowd had a title because no man needed one. Nobody was jockeying for a position. Nobody wanted to be seen. Nobody had to have their name on the transformational program. They just wanted to serve somebody who was hurting. And in the process of serving somebody who was hurting, they had to draw near to that which was holy, the Ark of the Covenant. Are you with me here? One of the elements of revival. Here's what were they drawing near to? Well, when they drew near to the Ark, daughter Trina, they were drawing near to the things inside of the Ark. And inside of the Ark was Aaron's bud. His, his cane that budded that was assigned to all of Israel that Aaron was God's high priest. Okay, y'all ain't, y'all ain't uh, impressed. Let me say some more. Inside of the ark was a little bowl of manna. It was the evidence that God fed his children in the wilderness 40 years with food from heaven. Y'all in here? Inside of the ark was the tablets of the Ten Commandments. God's written word to his people. So when they drew near to the ark, they drew near to the miracles of God. Okay, I got one more for you. On top of the ark was where the cherubim sat. Those two statues that faced each other over the tablet of gold. And it was called the mercy seat. It was where God would forgive the sins of the people when the high priest the blood from their offerings so every time they drew near to the ark they drew near to the presence of God can I tell you there's no revival in your life without you drawing closer to the presence of God you can hang in the back of the congregation all you want to and talk about you want to be revived it ain't gonna happen until you have some service in your heart and a desire to see God up close and personal. They, 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 they drew near to God. Watch this now. Instead of drawing away from God. They saw God just discipline people who loved him. But instead of running from him, they drew near to him. Here it is. And as they drew near to God, they weren't just representing themselves. They were representing their whole community. They were representing their families. And they were willing to bring their communities and their families into subjection by going after the ark. Here it is. They knew the danger of being over familiar with God. New Beginnings, you know this. They, they knew they were taking their lives into their own hands. They, they knew as a covenant community that when they entered into the presence of God, their neighborhoods were coming too. But they had a critical element of revival burning in their hearts. They wanted to see God like they'd never seen him before. Can I tell you, sometimes the best time to draw near to God is after he just killed somebody for their disobedience. Can I tell you, just because he kill them on earth don't mean they dead for eternity. God ain't got no problem judging your sin and taking you to glory. Especially if it's going to teach somebody else, don't do what he did. Y'all in here? He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. And once he saves you, he ain't going to lose you. But your life ain't yours, it's his. And if death is the result of your, mis- your behavior, then guess what he'll do? Kill your behind and take you to glory. Y'all in here? I got some Bible for my theology. Y'all remember Moses? Come on, y'all remember Pastor Moses? That big church he had in the wilderness? God told him the first time, you know, hit the rock and I'm going to give your people some water. He hit the rock, water came out. A couple years later, time for the same miracle, he said, speak to the rock. Pastor got mad. Y'all don't know nothing about pastor. Got mad at the people. Heard what the Lord said, but tried to do 
ministry the same way he'd been doing it. When God told him, do it a different way. He got mad and he hit the rock. And as a result, God said, because of that, you ain't going in the promised land. I'm going to let you watch your people get there. And then I'm going to kill you and bring you to glory. Because I'm through with you. Parenthetically, God does have a time limit for your behavior. Don't think he going to forever let you do what you're doing. Come on in here. You here now. Come on in here. I know you might not be here next week, so let me tell you. Let me tell you. God ain't playing with you. He got a limit when he'll cut you off. Are you in here? Somebody making plans for your life. You better stop and check yourself. Where are you at with the holiness of God? That wasn't in my notes, but I just thought I'd say that. The men of Kerjath Jerim draw near, drew near rather, to the ark. And I wrote myself some notes here, brothers and sisters, and I, I hope you'll find this interesting too. See, it had been a long time since they had seen Brother Reuben. Yahweh move among them. It had been a long time since they had felt his presence. It had been a long time, Tommy, since the power of God was on display in their world. And it had been a long time since they had had a word from the Lord. And they were in need of a new word. They were in need of a move from God. They were in need, Brother Freddie, of a special activity from God to warm their hearts again. And all of a sudden, God's presence was back in their community. And they were in need to draw near to him and unto him. And so they arose to the occasion when the invitation came from Bethshemesh to come get the ark and take it away from us. Let me tell you something, family. There's a need for revival in our community. That there's a need for, for men to step up and lead again. That there's a need for men to become the spiritual leaders in their families again. There's a need for men to grab a hold of the Ark of the Covenant again. Oh, I'm going to preach it all today. There's a need for men to grab hold of the Word of God and bring it back to their families. I believe if the community is going to be revived, it ain't going to be because mama did it. It's going to be because the head of the families have taken their rightful place and drew near unto God, unapologetic and unafraid of being a man and being a leader. Not that women can't lead. You see them doing it today. The reason why they leading is because you won't. There ain't something to be proud about or shout about or boast. Look at me while I roar. No, that's sad. That's a sad commentary on our society. That the men have laid down their roles and abdicated their God-given positions to seek the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We need a revival. Hello, is this thing on? These men, these men were on one accord. What a beautiful picture. They all come together to come see about their brothers in Bethshemis. These men, here they are, they were on the same page. Uh, they were what I call soul friends. They had everything in common. They were co-laborers with the Lord. These men were willing to bear the yoke of the burden and take a chance, watch this now, on handling the holy and sacred things of God so that all of Israel could be restored and live in peace. Y'all catch that? Willing to take a chance on handling the scripture. Willing to take a chance on handling the priesthood rod. Willing to take a chance on handling the manna of heaven so that their communities could be revived. I wish I had a witness here today. My question is, where are 
the men of Kirjath-Jerim today? Where are the spiritual giants when you need them? Because we don't have them, watch this, gangs are running wild. Because we don't have them, my baby girls keep getting pregnant over and over and over again. Because we don't have them, little girls want to be little boys and little boys want to be little girls. Because we don't have them, we got a whole generation of sissies and she-mens. Because we don't have them, we got punks marrying our daughters and moving in their houses and making our women take care of them because we're missing giants. I'm sick and tired, sick and tired of weak and anemic men, sick and tired of men that won't lead like God called them to lead. Quit bringing them punks in here. We need some giants that are willing to handle the word of God, that don't care what the culture say. We need some giants that'll be men of integrity. You'll smell them before they get there. The holiness of God will emanate from their lives. And when you're in your presence, when you're in their presence, you'll know whose side they are. Quit walking up in here confused like you don't know who you are. God is raising up giants, not punks. The culture needs giants. Spiritual men on point for God, not punks who taking cowardly exodus. Taking the shortcut of life. I don't know how I got there. No. All I'm trying to say is we need some men again. Men like those in Kirjath, Jareen. Men that were willing to practice service. Let me give you point number two. They practice submission. Look what the text says. And they brought the ark into the house of Abinadab on the hill when we come to this portion of the text we see what I call is another element of revival that emerges it's what I call the element of submission what, what do you mean pastor here the men of Kirjath Jerim they brought the ark into the house of another one of their brothers whose name was Abinadab. Now, Abinadab has the same ark that just killed 50,070 men in its house. Y'all in here? Abinadab's got the same ark that caused all the plagues to fall on the Philistines. He's got the same ark that destroyed Dagon, their half fish and half man God. Are you with me here? The ark was a killer. But this one man had enough love for God to draw near to him in spite of his track record of killing people. We can learn from this picture that Abinadab is submissive to the idea of serving God and serving his people. Okay, let me park the car and waddle right there. You know what's wrong with me and the men in our church? We ain't submissive to the idea of serving God fully with every area of our life. We like it on Sunday morning because we've been doing it forever. Y'all in here? But when you get submissive to the idea, you'll bring him in your home up close. Where your children can smell the fragrance of Yahweh. You see him in every room in the house. Get in the car and he's there. 
Walk in the living room and he's there. Go outside by the barbecue pit and he's there. He's got dominion and reign over every area of the house. Abinadab say, don't put the ark anywhere. I want him with me. Can I say some more? I done got y'all good and mad now. I might as well. Abinadab wasn't a Levite, which means theologically he didn't have access to the ark. He should have been the last one to have it. Number two, he wasn't a priest. Number three, he wasn't a scholar. Number four, he wasn't steeped in privilege. He didn't have no reason to have the ark in his home except for the fact that he wanted to be revived and he wanted to draw near unto God. He was submissive to the idea of having an ark in his home in spite of God's track record for killing men who wouldn't obey. Can I say some more? I believe that just like the men of this city were ready and willing to take a risk for God, so was Abinadab. He wasn't qualified to have it in his home. His home wasn't the tabernacle. His home wasn't the place where people came to worship. He had never had the ark there before, but nevertheless, he would make himself available for whatever the Lord wanted to do for him. Here it is. Abinadab was ready to draw near to the ark. He was ready to draw near to Aaron's rod. He was ready to draw near to the bowl of manna. He was ready to draw near to the Ten Commandments. He was ready to prostrate himself before the mercy seat. He was ready to draw near to God instead of withdrawing from God. And I can't help but notice can't help but notice, Dr. Hayward, the brother opened his home to God. He invited God to stay and to dwell with him. Abinadab was available to be used by God. His home became the dwelling place of God. Question, what about your homes today? Can you say that about your home? It's the dwelling place of God. Be honest with yourself and take inventory. I almost said, I almost said something. Can you say that your home is the dwelling place of God? You know what you do in your home. You know who live in there and ain't got no business in there. Can you say that your heart is the dwelling place of God? Don't you answer that because you know all the stuff in your heart. I'm going to push that button today and challenge you. Listen, you better quit playing with God. If you're not here, you'll never get revived. These are the elements of revival. Get your heart and your home and your head in the place where God can dwell them and use them and quit having all these other idols and gods in there. You know, those cable channels that keep you in lust. That miracle wanna, that marijuana card you, you swear up and down you need. Those neighbors you just can't shake yourself from. Are y'all in here? Come on, new beginners. Are y'all in here? God is calling for us, listen, to be revived and to be renewed. I know I'm fussing. I know I'm fussing. But give me one Sunday to fuss. Can I do that? This whole community knew that Abinadab's life was not his own. They knew that his house now had become the dwelling place of God. The whole community knew where the ark was and who was keeping the ark. Your neighbors know that about you? Do your neighbors know who dwells in your house? The Bible says they brought the ark to the house. Y'all see that? Of Abinadab. Who lived on the hill. Now I find a third thing interesting about this Reverend Mason. One is that. This must have been the place. 
Well, God wanted the ark to rest. Or it wouldn't have happened. He wanted it to rest in an obscure location. Remember, Kirjadzerim in the Hebrew language is called the city in the woods. The house of Abinadab in the city of the woods in an obscure location is very powerful. But let me tell you some more. Abinadab's name means the noble one. Okay, let me bring it back. God wants the ark to rest in the home of somebody who's noble. Who lives in obscurity. Ain't known by everybody. Who lives on the hill. Y'all in here? Let me say some more. The noble one who lives on the hill, who's not afraid to live in his presence. Who doesn't mind giving up his life, giving up his house, giving up his identity to dwell in the presence of God. That's the kind of man God is looking for. See, you ain't noble because you got a career and a title. What makes you noble is how you want to live your life before God. Most great men of God are not men that you see on cable TV. They're pastors you'll never read in the pages of, of the Fresno Bee. There are people who dwell in the inner, inner recesses of the inner city. Those places tucked away in the woods. They've got so much nobility the world don't even know them. But they know them by God because God picks them. To dwell with them. Can I argue about trying to be a celebrity Christian? Celebrity Christians aren't necessarily born again Christians. They become cultural Christians. No Christian got business trying to be in a celebrity. We're trying to live lives of submission and servitude unto God and nobility of lives of service unto him. That's what we're striking to do. You ain't trying to get no best reward for this or best reward for that. If the culture is praising you, it's probably because you on their side. I'm losing my members. They're going out and they ain't coming back in. I'm at the center ushers. Go get them, ushers. Go get them. This text informed me that God delights to reign with those, watch this now, whose reputations and lifestyles, y'all catch that? Bring him honor and glory. Can I say that again? He delights to dwell with those whose reputations and lifestyles bring him honor and bring him glory let me talk to my av family today my babies i'm so proud of av for what they're doing but i want to say something to the millennials today be careful who you aspire to be like in the christian kingdom because everybody that's famous every pastor with a podcast Every rapper with a few hit songs ain't necessarily noble in the kingdom. Are you in here? Be careful who you aspire to be like older people too. Choose your role models, yes, by their ministry of service and submission. Are you in here? Text goes on to inform me. Yeah. That God likes to dwell with those. Watch this now. Who invite him, Reverend Billings, to give him total access into their homes and lives. God likes to dwell where he will be high and lifted up. That's worth you coming today. That thing you're struggling with, I bet you it'll go away if you give him total access. Quit tapping around and crying around like I can't get rid of this, Lord. I'm, I'm struggling with this. Give him access and watch him take it. 
quit playing with the thing like I want it, I don't want it, I want him, I don't want him. Ah, you know my heart, God. No! Your heart is wicked and totally deceitful. You can't trust your heart. While I'm there, let me say this. You better quit following your heart trying to pick a man. You're going to choose the wrong one. You better follow the word of God. If he don't match up to the standard which is holiness, you better kick rocks. Come on, talk to me. And get the heck out of there. Y'all almost made me cuss again. I gotta, I'm sorry, I'm Baptist. The Lord's still working on me. Y'all want me to keep it real, don't you? Can I say some more? This text is powerful. Abinadab becomes a picture for us of a man that God can use. Here's my question. Are you in Abinadab this morning? Are you that noble follower that wants God to be in every area of your life? Are you the one that will take him when everyone else rejects him? Will you or do you dwell where God can be lifted up in your life and in your home? Brother Benadab teaches us what one of the elements of revival is by his lifestyle. Look, guys, all I'm trying to say is this. If we want revival to come into our lives, into our home, we have to be servants to our families, servants to God, and servants for his mission in the earth. Secondly, if we want revival to come into our homes, into our lives, we have to be submissive to one another. And to the things that God would ask of us. No matter, Jojo, what he asks. Y'all catch that? It's not an option. If God wants it, you have to give it to him. The submissive heart and mind looks like a Benadab. And it makes every area of their lives available to him. They also place God where he can be seen in their lives. On the hill. High. And lifted up. Well, I've talked to you about the practice of service. I've talked to you about the practice of of submission. Now let me say what really hurts. The practice of sacrifice. Y'all in here? The Bible says in that verse, second verse, and they consecrated y'all in here? Eleazar. His son. Whose son? Abinadab's son. They consecrated him, Courtney, to keep the ark of the Lord. Don't read this too fast. Because something phenomenal just happened. <clears throat> when the men of the city in the woods bring the ark to the most noble one who lived on the hill. When they brought the ark into his house. Watch this, Brother Rodney. They didn't consecrate Abinadab to watch over the ark. Y'all missed it? They consecrated his son. The word consecrate here gives us a picture of that which is holy being set apart for a particular work unto God. The service of submission and sacrifice is now in Abinadab's house. God not only has a ministry for the daddy, hey, but he's got a ministry for his son. Alright, let me preach it all. His work is going to be to keep the ark. That's it. That's it. Watch it. Tend to it. Spend time there. Okay, y'all miss it. So let me give you some insight to who he is. Who is Eleazar? Well, Eleazar is the son of the nobleman who lives on the hill, whose ministry is to keep the ark high and lift it up. But Eleazar is the only begotten son of the father who dwells on the hill. There's 
some more? Now, now watch this. He's the only son who's to lay down his life and minister to the ark of God in the nobleman's house that's on the hill, that's high, and that's lifted up. Where my Bible readers at? Eliezer got to lay down his life every day so that the citizens that live in the city of the woods won't encounter the wrath of God. Eliezer got to live every day in front of the Ark of the Covenant at the base of the priest rod, the bowl of manna, the Ten Commandments, dwelling in front of the mercy seat of God so that the citizens in his community won't incur the wrath of God because they've got an intercessor who's on the hill in the nobleman's house high and lifted up. Y'all in here now? This work he's consecrated for is 24-7. No holidays in this work. He don't get a season to take a break and have sin. He got to live there in front of the presence of the Lord until God releases him from his assignment. Can I say some more? Set apart. Parenthetically. You know that's how you're supposed to live? You're the Eleazars of this generation. You're supposed to live before God, knowing who he is, knowing what he has called you to do, to be consecrated, to be set apart. You're not just any young lady. You're God's daughter. You're not any man. You're God's man. You ought to walk like your swag means something. Quit taking your cues from the world and bowing down to the weak, anemic uh, shadows of the earth that teach you how to live. They don't even know who you are. I don't think you know who you are. You're the only begotten of the Father who lives on the hill, who's high and lifted up. And he's called you and set you apart to live a life of worship unto God. Why are you trying to look like the pagans? Why are you adapting the pagan way of living? Inebriating yourself. Trying to escape from the puny pressures of life that's going to fall off anyway. Do you know who you are? I got to get out of here. I got too much. I got, Lord Jesus, I got too much. I'll talk to you about the practice of service, practice of servitude, and the practice of sacrifice. As I close, I want to share some final thoughts from the passage. But I want to show you what it means to practice the elements of revival through service, submission, sacrifice but now through surrender. What does it mean for the child of God to live the surrendered life? The Bible says that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim for a long time. You see that right there? And it was there, he describes the long time, 20 years. And all the house of Israel, watch this now, lamented after the Lord. Let me unpack that. Give me two minutes, guys, and I'll get out of your way. As we close the passage and we come to this portion of the ark or the text, we can't help but notice that the ark stays in Abinadab's house and Eleazar serves the Lord for 20 years. The ark at this time Remember, it was rejected by the Philistines. It was rejected in Beth Shemesh by Israel until God found a few little servants 
that lived in the city of the woods that was willing to draw near to him. And for 20 years, they ministered to the ark. For 20 years, they worshiped God. But for 20 years, nothing happened to the surrounding areas. Can I help the little church this morning? Don't worry about the numbers in your congregation. Everybody living in rebellion against God ain't going to come running to your service. I want to make an argument for not trying to be culturally relevant. They ain't coming not because your culture ain't cool. They ain't coming because they don't want your God. You can dress it up if you want to. You can change your music if you want to. It ain't the music that's going to draw them to God. Come on, talk to me. It's their hearts be pinted before God that draws them back to God. Somebody said to me, I wonder why Wilson ain't got no big church. I don't know why we keep preaching messages like this. Can I turn the light on? 20 years goes by. No changes. And then the text says, did y'all catch that? After 20 years and all the house, somebody say all of them. The house of Israel, all 12 tribes. After 20 years, somebody say after 20. They lamented to God. What happened, Brother Johnny? Well, I'll tell you what happened. God was patient. God was merciful. God was gracious. And he waited on the hill. <laughs> he waited in obscurity. He waited in their presence for their hearts to turn back to him. I'm so glad he was a patient God. And even in the midst of their blindness, he was waiting patiently, Gina, for them to return. Took them 20 years before they decided to turn back to God. How long did it take you? Didn't God wait on you? Come on in here. Didn't God wait on you? Yeah, yeah. Didn't God display his mercy for you? Could have killed you and took you out of here a long time ago. But he's a merciful God. He's a patient God. And when they recognize his mercy and his patience, the Bible says they lamented. Now, what does that word mean? It's not just a cry of uh, sorrow. When you lament, you cry from a place that's unfamiliar to people. Okay, here it is. Have you ever seen a family at a funeral? When they lose a loved one, a mom or a dad, that cry, come on, talk to me. That's not a normal cry. That, that's a cry from a deep place of void and of absence. After 20 years, they realize what they had missed. And they cried out to God, Rita, saying, you were here the whole time. And I wasted 20 years of not worshiping you. I wasted 20 years trying to do life my own way. I wasted all this time. Somebody in here know who I am. They, they, they know what this is. Come on, talk to me. It was that lamentation that you made when you recognized who he was and how he loved you and what he had in store for you. Anybody here this morning say, I wish I knew now what I did. Is there anybody here this morning? Say, if I knew what I knew now, I would have served God alone. Is there anybody here this morning? Say, if I knew who God was today, I would have never hooked up with that knucklehead. I would have saved myself a whole lot of trouble. Where my mother's at? Where my mother's at? Anybody in here today? All that America was ready to return to the Lord. All that Fresno was ready to return back to the Lord. All that some of you were ready to return to the Lord. 
Israel finally got it together after 20 years. 20 years they saw the family on the hill high and lifted up. 20 years they saw the blessing of Abinadab's house and the ministry of Eleazar. And they finally, yeah, here it is, the light came on. Well, I got to leave you now. But all God wanted to do, yeah, was for Israel to be in service for him. All the Lord wanted Israel to do, Mama Pat, was for them to be in submission and sacrifice unto him. All he wanted them to do, yeah, Titus, two mothers, was to live a life of surrender unto the Lord. Well, I'm closing right here. But I'm glad today that God gives me a picture of what he's asking me to do. Yes, I don't know where you are in the text this morning. But I hear God telling Angelus, I want you to be like Eleazar for my ministry. I want you to live a life of sacrifice, totally committed unto the Lord. And I can hear him saying, don't worry about those who are down the hill. Just stay faithful to me on the hill. Yes, and if you will live your life in total surrender to me, then I will get the honor, the glory, and the praise. I'm closing now, but as I close my text in the study, I got this picture and image in my mind, and I've got to give it to you one more time. Jesus was a picture of Eleazar, the only begotten son of the father who lived and who died on the hill. Yes, and out on the hill called Calvary, they stretched him high and they dropped him low and he died in his ministry of sacrifice. He died in total surrender to the Father. Didn't he die? New beginnings. And I'm glad he died because when he died, lamentation happened in the universe. Right now, people are lamenting because he died. And he died as their substitutionary offering unto the Father. I'm so glad he died for my sins and yours. But I'm glad that that's not how the story ends. Because early Sunday morning, I said early Sunday morning, God the Father raised him back to life. He rose. Didn't he rise? He rose. Didn't he rise? He rose. Didn't he rise? And I'm glad he got up again. So glad he got up again. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fears are gone. Because he lives, he holds my future. And I know now, said I know now, I know now how I'm supposed to live. Is there anybody here got your cues this morning? Is there anybody here heard a word for you this morning? Is there anybody here say I heard the Lord speak to me? Would you help me today? Stand on your feet and give the Lord a wave offering. If you heard his feet, give the Lord a wave offering. Ain't it all right? Ain't it all right? Ain't it all right? Ain't it all right? Surely, 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 it's going to be all right. Help 
me to praise him now. Remember, holiness is the standard. Remember to practice service. Practice submission. Practice sacrifice. And practice surrender. Would you turn to a neighbor today, grab them by the hands, look them in the eyes and say, neighbor, what did you get out of that message? Let them tell you, let them tell you, let them tell you. Come on back, praise team. Let them tell you.